U.S. longshore workers are in solidarity with Canadian port workers still on strike. Jail in Iqaluit closes to in-person visitors because of his scabies case. Laurentian Bank might be soon up for sale. Canada's corporate responsibility ombudsman launches its first investigations ever, and they're both in China. And Australia's most decorated soldier probably did war crimes. Good morning. It's Wednesday, July 12th. I'm Nora. Here are your headlines. The strike at British Columbia's ports continues, and the Canadian press is reporting that the employers' group is fear-mongering about the impact of the strike on their business. Now, the real story in this article is that the United States port workers are doing solidarity. They're refusing to handle any containers rerouted to Seattle from Vancouver. That's good news. That's great, actually. International solidarity is great. The International Longshoreman and Warehouse Union President Willie Adams told CNBC that they would not be breaking the strike by handling Canadian-bound cargo. Reports the Canadian press, quote, Adams told a rally in Vancouver on Sunday that anyone who thought they could offload Canada-bound cargo at Tacoma, Seattle, Oakland, or Los Angeles should know that it ain't happening, unquote. To respond to the solidarity, the employer, the BC Maritime Employers Association, said that the decision of U.S. port workers damages the, quote, reliability and competitiveness of West Coast ports up and down, unquote. The Canadian press does not unpack how this could be true, as Canadian ports can't exactly be replaced with Russia, Japanese, Korean, or even really Mexican ports. Stuff needs to enter Canada somehow on the West Coast. The employers are worried that they might lose money because of the strike, something that, yes, correct, this is what happens when you make massive profits but refuse to share it with your workers through higher wages and stop contracting out. These are the two primary concerns that the workers have cited for their strike. Adams told a rally this past weekend that he's encouraging workers all over the world to demonstrate that they're in solidarity with Canadian workers. The Canadian Press article does not mention how much money the Employers Association collectively made in the past three years. Rankandfile.ca reminded the Globe and Mail online that in 2022 alone, the profits for just five multinationals who are members of the employer group reached $100 billion. That, folks, is an absolutely massive amount of money. Next to Agikjarvik Correctional Facility in Iqaluit, CBC News' Emma Tranter is reporting that in-person visits to the jail have been suspended due to a case of scabies found there. The department announced the case by saying it's, quote, a confirmation of a scabies case in one of the clients, unquote. I don't like that terminology. Client? Is that a prisoner? Is that someone who gets services at a jail? Could be. Could be either. The case was found on Saturday, and in-person visits were ceased the same day. The facility was opened in 2021. It has 112 beds and replaced the Baffin Correctional Center, which had been built in 1986. The hope when it opened was that more facilities, including a nursing station, five separate living units, and a gym, would ensure that fewer people would need to be transferred to southern jails. Key to the new facility was that it wasn't supposed to feel like a jail. There are traditional programs that inmates can access, like learning how to do traditional carving. The artists are then allowed to sell their carvings. The program keeps 20% of the profits for the program, while the artist can keep 80%. Radio Canada International reported in 2022 that most of the artists choose to send the money that they make from their carving to their families. 
Scabies is a skin rash that is caused by tiny burrowing mites. It can be incredibly itchy and uncomfortable. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control says that the illness can spread rapidly, especially in institutions, including prisons. Next, Laurentian Bank is currently going through a strategic visioning process that might result in the small regional bank being sold. The bank, based in Montreal but led from Toronto, announced that they will not be releasing more information about this until the review is finished. There have been several attempts to revitalize this bank, including a failed one in 2015 and another in 2021. As Canada's bank market is always lurching towards more intense concentration, Laurentian Bank has struggled to be able to make necessary technical improvements to let it compete with Canada's big five banks, reports Radio-Canada. The bank was founded in 1846, making it the third oldest bank in Canada. It has about 3,000 workers and is worth $1.5 billion. The last big merger of banks in Canada was in 2022 when RBC announced that it intended to acquire HSBC, an acquisition that has not yet been approved by Canadian authorities. Next to China, where the Canadian Ombudsman for Responsible Enterprise is about to launch its first investigations into wrongdoing by a Canadian company abroad. You might remember this group. I've mentioned it before on this podcast, the Canadian Ombudsman for Responsible Enterprise, or CORE. Many, many people, from mining activists to union representatives, have been critical of CORE for having done virtually nothing since it was founded in 2017. And now we have the first investigations. Both investigations will focus on whether or not forced Uyghur labor was used in the supply chains of Nike Canada and Dynasty Gold. These were the investigations chosen of 13 complaints made of Canadian companies filed by 28 groups. The other 11 complaints are still being assessed, and CORE said that they will have reports coming in the next few days that will determine whether or not they will do an investigation on those. Dynasty Gold told Reuters that the allegations are quote-unquote totally unfounded. The complaint was that Uyghur forced labor was used at a mine in China where Dynasty Gold owns a majority interest. Last year, Dynasty responded to the complaint saying that it didn't have operational control over that mine and they had already left the region before the complaint was made. Nike didn't respond to request for comment from Reuters. The complaint against them comes from a shareholder who wanted more transparency in Nike's supply chain's working conditions. Nike has relationships with Chinese companies that have been identified as, quote, using or benefiting from, unquote, forced labor. Nike says that they no longer have ties with these companies. CORE has no power to prosecute, and so if any of these investigations result in criminal findings, they would have to have a parallel criminal proceeding. Dynasty Gold only has two operations, according to their website, one in Nevada and one southeast of Dryden, Ontario. The Canadian operation is called Thundercloud and was taken over from Tech Resources Limited in 2021. No word on whether or not Dynasty Gold will be investigated for environmental damage, wastewater runoff, or other environmental hazards which may plague Indigenous communities there due to the mine's operations. And finally, Australia's most decorated soldier is appealing a judge's decision that found he had indeed murdered four Afghans. I'll back up. Three Australian newspapers alleged that Ben Roberts Smith engaged in quote-unquote serious misconduct while deployed in Afghanistan between 2009 and 2012. The articles were published in 2018. At the time, he was a national hero. He had won Australia's highest military honor for, quote, single-handedly overpowering Taliban fighters attacking his special air forces platoon, unquote. 
Roberts Smith claimed that in alleging that he had, quote, broken the moral and legal rules of war, unquote, the newspapers ruined his life. And so he sued them for defamation. But on June 1st, a federal court threw out the case, ruling that it was, quote unquote, substantially true that Robert Smith murdered unarmed Afghan prisoners and civilians. He also bullied fellow soldiers, reports the BBC from Sydney. This is what he's appealing. Justice Anthony Basanko was not satisfied that the allegations he had punched an intimate partner, threatened a peer, and murdered two other people had enough evidence. The decision was the first time in the history of Australia that any court has assessed a war crimes claim made against a member of the Australian forces. This might set a precedent where other war crimes can be investigated, including investigating 19 current or former soldiers of allegedly killing soldiers and civilians. In 2020, a report found, quote unquote, credible evidence that elite Australian soldiers unlawfully killed 39 people in Afghanistan. Those are your headlines for Wednesday, July 12th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandydorner.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or syndicated on campus radio stations across Canada. I hope you have a great Wednesday and I'll talk to you tomorrow.